0: Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. So let's get started with our Service this morning. Once again, I want to say welcome to everyone joining us. There's this really remarkable thing that happens. We start the service with maybe 100 people or 100 devices logged in. And then in these next three or four minutes, another 200 people uh, come swooping in. So I like to imagine the sanctuary just whoosh, filling up with with everyone coming on in. Uh, So welcome to your virtual pew and our online sanctuary. We're really glad you're with us this morning. A couple of things I want to remind you about for our service and time together. This Sunday, uh, we are taking a very special offering. It is our holiday giving recipient. Offering. Uh, and our holiday giving recipient is Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. We've made a five year commitment to support Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. And this is year two of that commitment. Many of you were worshiping with us just a few weeks ago on November 15th when you heard from Lena Gardner, Lena K. Gardner, the executive director of Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. And you heard from some families who were reimagining the holidays and reimagining ways they might reduce their spending to then make a collective gift. To Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. So that is um, what's uh, in store for us today during our offering, our collective pooling of our gifts, the ways we've cut back on holiday spending or recognized we're not traveling by air or traveling as much this year as we had thought, and making that. gift to Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. And they are serving Black Unitarian Universalists around the country. And one of their projects is a cooperative housing project in North Minneapolis that they're hoping to really kick into high gear in the coming year. So, so much wonderful ministry they are doing. And so, friends, as we prepare our hearts and minds and bodies for this time of worship, for this time of slowing down, For this time of remembering what is of worth and value, what is important in our lives. So here we are, once again, reforming this community, leaning into this space and this time together.
1: All right. So today I'm doing a question box for the message later on. And for the story this morning, another box, a wonder box. As you know, beloveds, I like my things to be interactive. And I invited Justin to be here with me so that he could interact with me. But please, kids and youth, get your parents and your caretakers and your people near the near the key, um, keyboard so that they can participate too and they can help you type or type on your behalf because we are going to go into this wonder box and discover some things. Are You ready? I'm ready. Okay, good. All right, before we go in, I'm gonna set up the story. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a group of people came together to talk about important things including how to treat each other better how to deal with the problem of racism and they were really committed and so in this box i have some objects that represent different parts of their conversation so let's see let's let's go ahead and see what we discover I flipped it around so that you can't see in advance, Justin, because I want to do one thing at a time. Dang it. Yep, yep, that's how it is. Here is the first object from the Wonderbox. What is this?
0: That, That looks like a lightsaber. Whoa.
1: What? Yes. Holy cow. I love this lightsaber, and I love flicking it, and I'm glad it worked. This lightsaber represents the need and desire to say everything that you believe the moment that you believe it. I get to say everything I want. This was one of the things that people brought to the conversation at the beginning. Freedom of expression and desire to say everything I want. Okay. Next. What is, it? is that a shield? Is that a cast? It's a
0: is that a Captain, Captain America's, America's shield? shield. Oh, Thank you I very much.
1: It. Yes, it is Captain America's shield because I am mixing. I am mixing my world here. I'm doing a little bit of everything, but we're all geeks together. Yes. Very good. This shield is stronger than Captain America's actual shield. It is not made out of vibranium. It is not even made out of adamantium. It is made out of policy and procedure. This is the shield that some of the folks brought to the conversation to say, we have always done it this way and we cannot do it any other way because this is how we do it. So here we have some people saying, we've always done it this way. And we have some other people saying, I need to say everything I believe all at once. Friends in the chat, how do you think it was going? How do you think that conversation went? Not well, exactly. It was not going well.
0: Not And then they realized
1: something's going on. Why? Why do you think this was happening? Why do you think people were bringing the shield of policy and procedure and the lightsaber of need to express everything all at once? Why do you think? I want some chat conversation. It made them feel safe, yeah. What do you think, Justin? Safety, fear, they were scared of change. I think
0: those are some good responses.
1: Yeah, that's it, that's
0: right. Some of those things can be habits too, so you kind of just bring what you know.
1: Yeah, they wanted to protect themselves. Nobody was listening to each other, they weren't listening. They were not listening. That is right, that is right. So they said, we need to bring something else to the party. We need something else.
0: Ooh, is that, that's a chalice.
1: It's a tiny little chalice. Little Isn't it cute that it fits in my wonder box? I love, I love it. this chalice. This chalice is a representation of our commitment to each other and to our values and our principles and mm-hmm. our faith. One very brave person said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are we here? We're here because we care for each other. We're here because we love each other and we can use a covenant and we can engage in this conversation in different ways. And everyone said, right, that's what we can do. That is helpful. So then they really started talking about, okay, so what happened? What's going on? And so let's talk about the feelings that some of these folks may have had and you've already said some of them. Frustration, fear. I've got here some rocks. They are the rocks of feelings, the hard feelings, the difficult feelings. Yeah, some
0: defensiveness. I see people are feeling defensiveness.
1: Yeah. They were not feeling heard. What else? That's what a lot, lot of rocks. Holy mackerel. I got three rocks. I got three rocks. I want what I want when I want it. Yeah, that's. Not quite a feeling, but it's certainly a way of being in the world that doesn't really help. Yes, I agree. Hurt, Mm. hurt, that's right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so guess what? These are really interesting rocks because they have things inside them. How cool is that? So we're gonna call this rock, the rock of fear. Fear. What what fears might, might people be bringing, Justin? What would be their fears?
0: Fear of change, fear of, fear of something, change. something shifting in their thinking or their lives, their habits.
1: Oh. Um, fear of not actually being safe in this place. Is this place really safe for me? Can I really say what I think? And it turns out, check this out. Come on ta A
0: Ooh, snowflake. Is that a,
1: yeah. Isn't that cool? Oh, wow. Yeah. I made these out of foam. Yay. Oh. The snowflake represents, we are all ourselves and only ourselves. And wherever we are on our journey is good and right. We need to make room for all of us to be in these conversations and to be gentle with each other individuality and the tenderness with which, like when you catch a snowflake, it's so wonderful, but you got to be tender with it, right? Yeah. Here is another rock. This rock is going to be the rock of anger. Anger because I've said these things a thousand times. Anger because these conversations never work. Anger because you don't get it. There's a lot of anger around conversations of racism. It's hard. Let's see what's inside. Do you have a guess?
0: I don't know. I can't wait,
1: a a fence. A A fence, fence. a Lego fence.
0: A Lego fence.
1: This Lego fence represents good boundaries Hmm. and using our covenant to help hold each other. A fence can also hold us in, right? It can remind us of the container that we're creating and sometimes the fence can be like, nope, that's not what we're doing here. And that's good. It's good to have boundaries. It's good to have containers for these conversations. This last rock, this is the rock of shame. This rock is the rock of, I'm not good enough. Where I am on my journey is not good enough. I always say this wrong. I'm not a real person of color. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not okay the way that I am. All kinds of different shame inside this rock. We have a heart, a heart, a little heart, a heart made out of rose quartz, actually Mm. turns out that heart comes from the word cur and there is a connection to the word courage, Mm. courage, is about having heart it's about being strong it's about naming the truth and choosing to stay in relationship Mm -hmm. having courage and having heart is a really important part of racism of, of talking about racism and ending racism and so then my last thing as these conversations happened
0: That's a big heart. That's a really big heart. It looks like a plushy heart. It's really
1: squishy. Yep, it's a little heart pillow. And it was such a relief for folks to realize that they could bring their hearts to the conversation and that they could be together and engage in real and true ways. And then the conversation really got started. Hmm. And that's the story today. Thank you, Justin, for being my audience for my wonder box.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you. Wonderbox. <laughs> I can't wait to see what comes out of that next.
1: Yeah, some other time there will be more wonder things in the wonder box.
0: Thanks, Julika.
1: Thank you, friend. Thank you to those that submitted questions for this Question Box Sunday. I am really excited to co-create this message in dialogue with your questions. And I do wanna say before I get started that these are my answers. They're based on my learning and my lived experience. I will be inviting other black, indigenous, and people of color in this congregation to chime in at the end, if there is something that you would like to add. I just wanna be clear that I speak for myself. The first question that I would like to answer is one that I did not receive, but one that I think you should know. And the question is, why did we switch the chat settings? Because we just switched the chat settings. And we have set it up so that you can communicate with me and with Justin and with Jen and John who are helping us lead this worship. And so that you cannot see each other's comments, why? Because I believe that anti-racism work is done best when using a model of developmental learning and growth. That means that people come to these conversations at different stages and at different times. And one person's innocent question and desire to learn can actually be difficult or harmful for someone else. And this is a space where we want to reduce harm. Reducing harm is a very important part of doing anti-racism work well. That is why we have made that change in the chat for now. and. Um, I do invite you to submit questions or reactions for us to see. I will let you know that I got plenty of questions. I'm going to try to get as many of them as I can. In fact, I need to start my timer to remind myself because this is a little extemporaneous. I'm not reading my answers, I'm just going to engage them. And so, um, I will not be able to engage the chat in this moment, but I would love to capture it. And I would love to come back and reach out to you and be in dialogue because this is really what I'm trying to model here. Anti-racism work is a learning process that occurs in dialogue. And I'm really excited to be doing it. All right, so let's get started. The first couple of questions I received were similar. So I'm gonna read them together. The first question is, as you probably know, the environmental justice team and the church has a long standing allegiance with the LaPointe family and their efforts to promote Niki Wakan, Indigenous Water Decade. Is there more that we can do as a congregation? And the second question is In Minnesota, the oppression and racism of Indigenous people is very deep. We are a water protector congregation, and as such, What might we do as allies of the water protectors at line three now? So I wanna say thank you, environmental justice team for the leadership and the work that you have been doing in this area. There are very many good opportunities to engage right now around these issues. And I want to direct you to the order of service. And John, if you could um, share the link one more time. The order of service has resources for further uh, reflection and learning. And there's several links regarding this topic so that you can follow up and sign up and get engaged. It's very important work. And once again, thank you very much, environmental justice team. I see you and I appreciate your ministry. All right, now I have two questions about reparations, which were pretty similar, so I'm just gonna read one of them. One of them was really basic, like, are we doing reparations? Why or why not? And the second one is, when will the congregation and leaders be ready to have real conversations about what reparations might look like on a personal, congregational, and community level? A few years ago, we made a commitment to Village Trust, a Black-led credit union that was starting up in Minneapolis. What are all the ways people are moving real resources within a reparations and redistribution dialogue? Thank you. This is an important question and an important topic. At First Universalist, we are not yet having formal conversations about reparations, and I look forward to doing that. And I want to let you know that one window into that conversation is coming up soon because We're going to be offering you opportunities to gather in small groups and talk about the racial justice resolution that the board has drafted and approved earlier this fall. You might remember in June at the congregational meeting there was a conversation about maybe we need to look at that older racial justice resolution and update it and that has happened and now we want to talk about it so that we can bring it to a vote at the end of the church year in the spring. So more coming soon, please stay tuned. And there's also more information in the Order of Service about reparations. There's a link to information from the Commission on Institutional Change at the UUA and a really good summary of reparations and why it's important and what's going on. So if you want to know what that means or what's happening, if you want to get in on the ground and start learning about it, I recommend that link to you. More generally, I want to say that talking about reparations and other difficult and intense and interesting and important topics is part of what we need to do as a congregation so that we can up our game in our anti-racism. These conversations can make us anxious because we might disagree, we might have conflict, we might feel like I was telling in the story for all ages, we might feel uncomfortable. We might not feel heard. Like there's all of these different fears and feelings that we bring to these conversations. And it's important that we do them. It's important that we engage because that is what, what gonna take us to the next level. And so this question about reparations actually had a second part which I wanna now read because I wanted to divide it up and address the first part first. So this is the second part. How do we get past altruism and white saviorism? how do we get past protecting our own and become a community of radical generosity? We are also in that time of progressive slide. Following a big event or push, there's a tendency towards going back to the way things were. I don't hear this from the leadership, but especially now that we are dispersed as a congregation, physically not in each other's presence where accountability is stronger, how are we building resilience for change in the long haul? Again, thank you. Thank you for this question. Because yeah, that's right. People of color, we stay committed because we have to. Our lives are at stake. White folks can slide back into the status quo. So when we think about resilience, I would say that for us people of color, we have our own journey of liberation and growth. We need spaces and support to do that. We build resilience by following our joy by prioritizing our health and our well being and our spiritual growth. And I would say that all of us need to engage this work from a place of spiritual growth. When we look at racial justice work and anti racism work as a faith formation project, things shift. It's actually pretty exciting. When, when we look at it from a place of what does this mean to me and about me? How do I make meaning of the world and the place where I'm in it? These are all theological questions. And when we engage it that way, here and here, and not just here in our heads, so in our hearts and in our guts, when we engage it like that, we break open. We find new ways of understanding things. We give ourselves permission to grow that's really valuable. And that is, I think, part of what we need to do in order to move to the next level, as this question is asking. And I would also say for white folks, I believe that spiritual containers help you stay in the discomfort. When you remember that you can do hard things, you're willing to expand and push and, and your circle grows bigger and you take more risks. I see it happen over and over again. And that's natural for all of us. As we feel loved, as we feel seen, as we feel safer, capable of dealing with the world, we are more willing to take a challenge. We are more willing to engage. That's how this works. And that I think is what's needed as we continue this work together. Thank you for this question. Thank you. All right. So for the next couple of questions, oh, I'm doing really well with time. Yes, I should not have said that. I just, I just set myself up, didn't I? Okay, um, I have two questions that are similar. They're not the same, but they're similar. So I'm gonna read them together and answer them. All right, the first one is, as a white senior woman, how do I engage in meaningful conversation, me as the listener with people of color? Where do I find that person, and where is a safe space for both of us? The second question is, when I'm in church on Sunday mornings, or was pre-pandemic, I interacted with so many lesbian friends and acquaintances that I simply interacted with them as individual women in all their complexity, rather than as women characterized primarily by their sexuality but I see or saw black people primarily as black people. And I feel or felt self-conscious and I want to be careful not to make a mistake. How and when will I and will we get past that point? And is that a worthy goal? I would say, yes. Yes, it is a worthy goal and I think that the best way to engage this challenge is through exposure therapy. I mean, you yourself said it. You, you've had enough complex individual conversations with lesbians such that the category has shifted for you. It, it doesn't register as important anymore. You're engaging with each person individually. And. That would be the case as well, if you had more interactions with black people or with other people of color and you had more exposure. Now, this relates to the the previous question of where can I have these conversations and how can I I connect? So I will say that for me as a Mexican immigrant, if you wanna connect with me primarily because of my identity, that doesn't feel so good because my identity and my lived experience has become an object of your learning, or it has become a tool. So it feels a little tokenizing. It doesn't feel good and right. Um, and I have had folks come up to me and, and say, I wanna practice Spanish with you. Or, I want, you're gonna be useful to me. And that's uh, 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 uh. what I think, would be better and what I would recommend to you is to you both it, for the exposure therapy and for the, for the request of where do I find these conversations. We need spaces where we have projects in common and the project can be a social justice project. It can be something that we're doing together to make the world better or it could be a quilting group or a crafting group or a book club or, you know, it doesn't matter but there's something else that brings us together in a multiracial space and we're focusing on that. And then we get to know each other. And then we become more complex people in each other's eyes. And we understand where each person is coming from. And I wanna name something that's that's difficult about this. It's a little tricky. My white friends and allies hold me and my identity in a particular way that let me know that they know that I'm Mexican and that I'm an immigrant and that I'm different from them, but it's not the center. It's not in the center of our conversation all the time. It's, it's not awkward. It's not like an elephant in the room. It just is part of, the, part of how we are together. And this is a weird analogy, but when I was thinking about this, I think this is like grief. Like if I have recently had a loss and you're interacting with me, you hold that. You hold that tenderly, but you don't necessarily center it. You let me choose if I'm gonna talk about it or not. And I know that identity and grief have nothing to do with each other, but in the same way, like my white friends give me openings once in a while. That must be hard as an immigrant, or I wonder how that is for your family. And there's an opening, do you want to talk about that? And then sometimes I'm like, yeah, thank you. That is hard. And this is how it is for me and blah, blah, blah. Even though my white friend doesn't have the lived experience, I can feel that they're making room for me and for my experience. And then other times I'm like, yeah, but then I move on because I don't really want to talk about it with white people. And they respect that. They don't need to talk about it. So that that is the, the thing that is helpful for me when I engage with white folks. And um, yeah, I think that's all I want to say about that. And the, the other thing I want to say is that I, what I appreciate in both of these questions is that you're naming feelings, that this is awkward, that this is uh, difficult, that this is challenging. Yes, there's a lot of feelings and discomfort in this work because it's requiring us to go to the place of the things that we don't know that we don't know. And that is uncomfortable, but it's also the place of learning. So I invite you to lean into the discomfort and to continue to do it. And, you know, I was talking about exposure therapy and to and, and getting to this point where it doesn't register. Well, there's this one other thing that I wanna say, which is you don't wanna go all the way to minimization where all differences have been squashed. Rather, you want to have an adaptive response, which is that you have that awareness that there are cultural differences at play and that you as a white person are required to adapt to the situation as a courtesy and as a change agent and as an ally. So you still maintain a level of awareness, but it's not the level of awareness that makes you anxious or that freezes you up and that doesn't allow you to engage. Um, And then the very last thing I wanna say is There's a difference between multiracial space where people are working together and caucus space. So for white people, I'm gonna invite you to please do not crash caucus space. Caucus space that is specifically set up for those of us who are people of color is sacred and very important space. Please honor it. So, all right, let me scroll down. Okay, I have, there was a follow-up Uh, to one of the questions that reads, I woke up this morning worrying about whether it was correct to capitalize black in the question I submitted yesterday. I suspect I'm not alone in this self-consciousness and I also suspect it would be a pain in the neck for black congregants to deal with this stuff all the time. I'd welcome your comments. So first of all, thank you again for naming the feeling. You woke up worried, you're worried that you're gonna do this right or wrong. I mean, this matters. It takes emotional work to do this and it's good to know it and to name it and to own it. So thank you. And yes, we do capitalize B in black and please see the order of service. There's a really good article there that explains more. And yes, it is exhausting. I mean, I'm not black, so I don't even know how exhausting it is to be a black person in America. I assume it is even more exhausting than it is to be a Mexican immigrant and it's not a competition. But I will name that as a Mexican immigrant myself, I have had what I call the social hour pounce. Anytime that there is a racial justice conversation, people afterwards want to come talk to me and reassure me that they're good people or ask me some questions or engage with me because there's all this excitement. And that is why caucus space is valuable. And also, White caucus space is valuable because you can bring your questions and your anxiety and say, I feel really foolish about this feeling. Help me. And then someone can say, yes, I had that feeling too. And this is what I did. Because in white caucus space, folks who have been doing more of the work can help newer white people to the conversation come along. And it works really well. Speaking of caucus, I do want to say that today I am going to be spending my time with the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Coffee Hour because centering the spiritual needs of people of color is another important value in a congregation that truly values anti-racism. And so I'm going to practice what I'm preaching. But if you are interested in having a white caucus conversation, I would be glad to join you at a future time. Um, I am one of few people of color who actually enjoys working with white people. still figuring out where that came from or why, but it's true. I really like doing anti-racism with white people. And so if you are interested, there's an opportunity in the order of service to sign up and to say, yes, I would like to be in a conversation that would be a little more relaxed than this. So please sign up. I would love to have more conversations with you after that. And I want to give a heads up to the people of color in the congregation that I'm about to answer the last question. So now is a good time to start getting close to your keyboard if there's something that you want to add that I have not said yet. And I'll be glad to read your comments to the congregation. So the last question is, what is a new term that we can use other than defund the police to describe the changes coming to the Minneapolis Police Department? And so, My answer to this question is with another question. When it comes to the topic of defunding the police, is this the best question that we could be asking? I don't think so. Now, whether to use the phrase defund the police or not is a topic that is currently being debated in black communities. And so what I wanna say is those of us who are not black need to stay in our lane. We need to let black communities have that conversation and let them tell us the language of their liberation. So let's follow their leadership. Let's stay in our lane, which is figuring out how do we actually change it so that black bodies are less harmed by our criminal justice system, which isn't. And the other thing I wanna name is, for, for those of you who are white, here's another opportunity to notice how you are feeling because debates among white folks about this word or that word have always been a part of this work. Should we use the word anti-racism? Should we be talking about what we're pro? Should we be using white supremacy culture when we're not actually in the KKK? Like, There's a lot of conversations about what's the best way to name things and Unitarian Universalists in particular, we love our words and we love our sentences and that's why covenanting can sometimes be so exhausting because of the way that we engage the wordsmithing. I believe that that is connected to an ethic of control. And that is a whole other sermon that I look forward to bringing to you in the future. Here's what matters to me. Black people continue to be killed by the police. We cannot rest until that stops. That is where we need to put our energy. We need to stop the policing of black and brown bodies. We need to overhaul this so-called criminal justice system. And I would like to bring your attention to the Los Angeles district attorney who just got sworn in and in the past few days has just been like making changes like that. It's like, what? And there's an article in the order of service to learn more about it. I saw it in a Facebook feed and some of of his tweets and it was just like, wow, this is how we do this change. It's amazing. I get goosebumps just relating it to you. So I just wanna invite us all to stay in the conversation, to stay in the discomfort, to stay in it as we are learning how to have these conversations. And I would now like to invite Black, Indigenous, and people of color in this congregation to say anything else that you would like me to add. And and I'm, I'm more than happy to add your voice if there is something that you would like me to say. I am not seeing anything, so I'm going to wrap us up. And so I want to wrap up by circling back to what I said earlier. Anti-racism is a journey of learning and healing. That's what I believe. For us people of color, it's a journey about liberation, self-liberation. And for white folks, it's a journey into discomfort and learning. Both of these journeys are hard and different. And we can do hard things together, my friends. We can live into the words that your minister say in every welcome in worship, that this is a congregation where we engage racial justice and this is the journey that you join when you join this community of communities. We can do this. We are doing it and we will go deeper together with our eyes on the prize. Onward, my friends. Amen. And over to you, Justin.
0: Julika, thank you so much for your your spirit, your uh, clarity around boundaries and how to create this container to hold these vulnerable, important questions. And thank you especially for the reminder that this work, that anti-oppression work, anti-racism work, racial justice work, yes, it is, can be discomfortable, particularly for white body people, but it can also be and is also healing as well. And it can be a journey of learning and healing some of the harm that has happened to all bodies. It's different harm, but white bodies have been harmed by these racial narratives and lies in very painful ways. So thank you for holding that space and inviting us deeper into this conversation. Friends, we have a really amazing piece of music that the choir is, is gonna perform in just a moment. But before we get to that piece of music from the choir, it is time for us to give and receive our holiday offering. Today we will give 100% of what we receive in our offering to BLUE, that is Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. BLUE was formed five years ago in 2015. They strive to be a dynamic, nimble, and responsive group of fierce and loving Black Unitarian Universalists committed to other Black Unitarian Universalists and committed to increasing power and capacity as Black Unitarian Universalists to really Help our faith come alive, to have it be a liberating and justice making faith. Blue serves a variety of Black Unitarian Universalists around the country, families and children, people of all ages. And one of their projects is a housing cooperative project that they're working on in our own backyard. So it is really a joy to support Blue this holiday season. We are delighted that they are our holiday giving recipient. You can see a number of ways to give on your screen. Uh, through text to give, through our website, you can send a uh, check to the church. I also wanna say during this time, as we prepare to make our holiday gifts, that if you are struggling, if you are needing support from the congregation, um, we are here for you. And we are able to offer that support for housing or medical or food or transportation needs that you might have. So we are about to give and receive our offering for blue today. Whatever we give today will be added to the 2000 plus dollars we collected on November 15th. And then that total gift will go to the work of Blue. Um, It is a joy to support this organization. So as we give and receive our offering, we will hear an amazing piece that Randy Baikema, our choral director and Franco Holder, our pianist and our choir and church instrumentalists and soloist Dom Wooten all work together to build and bring this amazing piece together in the time of COVID, in the time of amazing Zoom choral productions. Let's really lean into this piece together.
2: Justice was our battle, land. How justice was denied. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. And say,
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, 273256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.